welcome to yet another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Gotera. It has been a while. It has definitely been a while since we last spoke, or since I last spoke to you fine folks out there in the uh, Houston sports landscape, or wherever you're listening to this uh, fantastic show. Um... To say that I've had a couple of things going on in my life the last few weeks is a bit of an understatement. A bit of an understatement. So I teased this before uh, in several episodes. By the way, now that I'm back, let me get the business uh, elements out of the way first. Uh, Go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast. I know I haven't been doing this as much as I wanted to, but you know what? Sometimes life gets in the way. And throws a couple of curveballs your direction, and you can't hit them. You look like uh, Pedro Serrano up there swinging without Joe Boo's rum. Uh, Just swinging and swaying and doing all sorts of crazy stuff at the plate. So the curveballs that had been thrown my way, some of them I've hit. (laughs) Some of them I've hit. Some of them uh, have tested me. So I'll get into those details here in a second. Go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast. I promise to kind of get this thing up and rolling here. Uh, a little bit more consistently, get that video element also uh, up and running too. We're doing some research on that. I think there are a couple avenues I can do this, so uh, we'll we'll figure that out as well. So, yes, my life uh, since we last spoke. So the last podcast that I posted, I looked it up, was with JJ heading to the Arizona Cardinals. Now, if I remember correctly, and my my memory is a little foggy, if you'll excuse me. I think that I recorded that podcast several times. Was that the one I recorded several times uh, because the uh, camera card and the equipment that I was using messed up? I think that's what that was. But anyway, it was a while ago. So JJ going to the Cardinals, that seemed like three months ago, man. I, I'm not going to lie. So in the span of that podcast to now, and look, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not saying, I'm not making excuses, right? Uh, I should have been getting these up a little bit more, but... Um, so in the span of that three weeks, I think it's been three weeks, yeah, three weeks that J.J. decided to join the Cardinals, uh, the Texans are still a dumpster fire. So that hasn't changed. So that 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 hasn't changed. We've seen some uh, news about Deshaun Watson. I'm going to talk about that here in a second. This podcast, though, dedicated a little bit more to the University of Houston Cougars. Um, so I may touch on Deshaun for a little bit, but uh, I, I'm going to talk about the Cougs more here uh, after a little while. Uh, so... So in the time that I, I've been gone, uh, I bought a house. We were building the house, if you'll remember from my previous episodes. I talked about how that process was a little stressful, especially picking all the things in this new house. Uh, so I bought a house. The week after, I closed on an, on our old house, which was a stressful endeavor. Finally, we found somebody that bought that thing, uh, and God bless them for it. It's a nice house, great house, served my wife and I very well. We brought in two kids in that house. And uh, But it was a stressful process getting rid of that. But in between those two things, we moved. So keep in mind, so over the past couple of months, we've actually been crashing at my parents' house, honestly. Um, I've been recording these podcasts uh, from my parents' house because, and if you see me on Channel 11, you'll see that my set has changed several times. And my wife over at Fox 26, too, her set has changed several times during this pandemic. So the last four or five months, actually, we've been at my parents' house because we're trying to sell our old home, and we didn't want to be in the old home, especially with the kids there and, you know, the risk of people coming over, seeing the house, yada, yada, the whole thing. 
So we decided, and my parents were just more than uh, gracious enough to open up their home for us to stay there. They enjoyed time with the grandkids. Uh, I enjoyed time kind of being back at home. It was really fun, you know, uh, getting that cooking from my mom, Cuban food, which is uh, always excellent. So uh, shout out to my parents who are always amazing, amazing people. So we were uh, we were very grateful that they gave us that opportunity to stay there. But anyway, so we had to move from our old house to our new house in the span of that week. So we got the movers, we got everything from storage, we had po- we had stuff everywhere, okay? So basically it was consolidating all of this stuff in about a week's time. And we and we actually my wife and I actually planned the whole thing out pretty well, right? We were going to get our washer and dryer a certain date, we we're getting our fridge a certain date because we had to get new appliances, moving into the new place. You know, you guys have moved before, you know what I'm talking about. So getting all the um electrical lined up, the internet, the security cameras, everything that goes into buying a new house, we got we had to get that going. Uh, the alarm system, and I can keep going on and on and on and on. Um, and we also had some work after closing. You know, we had built some cabinets and stuff. So we had the whole thing lined up actually pretty well. But then uh, the lovely folks from Costco, which, you know, have been great for the most part, but our fridge, which we bought from Costco, we were told it was going to be delivered on a certain date. Got the call, the confirmation, the time between 12.30 I was at the new house. Everything was good, lined up, ready to go. Fridge never shows up. Fridge never shows up. Can't move into a new house if you have two kids and you don't have a fridge. So our stay at my parents' house was extended a little bit. Had to pay, um, you know, overage charges, if you will. <laughs> At my parents' house. So uh, that was uh, pretty wild. And so the new fridge didn't come for another week. Uh, our dryer still doesn't work because of our breaker situation here at the house. Or maybe it's the dryer. I haven't even heard back from Whirlpool. I have no idea what the situation is there. But our, our dryer doesn't work. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So we have a working washer, but our dryer doesn't work. So we have to take our clothes to wash somewhere else. Again, look, I- I'm putting my life into perspective here. I... I'm not complaining in the slightest. I understand there are people that are going through hard times, but you know, this is this is what we're going through and it's my life and it is what it is, right? So, we finally moved in the day before my birthday, which was this past Sunday, uh the 28th. That was my birthday. So, we finally move in the day before, woke up in the new house and all that. And uh there's just a lot that's been going on, right? So, I'm trying to find time to record this podcast, but then when I feel like I'm going to sit down and record something, which by the way, I'm still in my car, uh, I have boxes everywhere. I haven't set up my studio yet here at the new house. We're actually in my son's room doing broadcasts and stuff. I'm, I'm in this car recording the podcast because that's the best audio quality. So we have boxes all over the place. We're slowly unpacking. And uh, I just have not had time. Just when you think you're going to have time to record something, bam, something happens. Our TV isn't up on the wall. TV's on the ground. Uh, so I've been watching these U of H games on the ground. Um especially while we were waiting for the couch and everything, whatever. It's, it's been wild. So I'm here. We're recording this episode. Everything is good to go. And um, that's been my life the last two and a half months. And, oh, news, personal news as well. Uh, I am very fortunate to be staying on with Channel 11 for another couple of years, signing a new contract with them, which I am very thankful for. I'm very grateful for the uh, leadership at Channel 11. So shout out to those folks. They believe in my work. Uh, they believe in what I've been doing and what we're going to do. This year, we're going to bring back the program. If you've followed my work online at Channel 11, you've seen our high school show, uh, the first of its kind here in Houston, probably the best sports reality show in this town. 
Um, so I'm very thankful for that. We do a lot of good work on that. I have a great team that works on that with me. And so we're going to bring that back this year. We're working on a comments document documentary. So many thanks to uh, our news director, our general manager, for having the faith in me to uh, continue my work at Channel 11. I love uh, Channel 11. I love being there. It's been home for the last about to be 12 years. And um, I see a very bright future. I think we're going to expand this podcast. We're going to get things going, some bigger interviews. And I think we've got some good things in the, uh, in the works and on the horizon. But, hey, it's not as big as what's going on with two stories here in town. First, the Houston Cougars. Actually, let me do Deshaun first, okay? Let's quickly get to Deshaun, then I'm going to get the Houston Cougars. People have been asking me, oh, what do you think about Deshaun Watson's situation with all the allegations, the sexual assault allegations, and the uh, lawsuits that are being filed? My only takeaway from that is this. I I I'm going to say this, um, and then I'm, I I'm going to move on to U of H. I've been covering sports for a long time. I've talked to a lot of trainers, a lot of pro athletes, a lot of people. I'm not saying one way or the other whether this stuff happened. I'm not judge, jury, and executioner here. I haven't been privy to all the facts. I'm not going to get into those details because, frankly, we don't know each side until this case really plays out. Tony Busby's presented sides of the folks that are accusing Deshaun Watson and then Rusty Harding representing uh, Deshaun Watson. So both sides going back and forth. I'm not going to get into the particulars about uh, the details of these cases. The only thing I will say about this is, and the thing that strikes me as odd, is after speaking to trainers and athletes for so many years, we are now up to the initial crop of women that have come out against Deshaun Watson alleging misconduct and alleging improprieties, if you will, um, during these massage sessions was about 20, 21, 22 um, half a, uh, now I think we're up to a dozen lawsuits that have been fired, filed. Um, so that's a huge number. And then we had the other day, earlier this week, we had 18 women come out defending Deshaun Watson. Okay, so now our number now is above 40. Okay, we are above 40 women that he's been involved with as far as massages go. So my point in all of this is. If you talk to pro athletes and trainers, a lot of these guys see their bodies as fine-tuned machines. Like, this is the way they make their money. Uh, they have to make sure their bodies are in tip-top shape. I have never heard, I've never heard of an athlete seek massages from 40 different individuals, whether that be men or women, whatever. I've never heard that before. Usually, you have a trainer, you have a, you know, sometimes you change trainers, if you feel like you need to go a different direction with your work, whatever, but you don't change trainers over and over and over again, right? Repeated trainers. What Deshaun is alleged of doing is seeking these people out on Instagram, going to multiple women. I just don't understand why you need to have so many women that you have to go to. Like, why do you have over 40? So that seems a little odd to me. Again, I'm not saying he's guilty. I'm not saying he's not guilty. Just the fact alone that we have so many women that have now come out, whether against Deshaun or in favor of Deshaun, that seems a little odd to me. It's over 40. Athletes don't usually do this. So that that's the one thing. I don't know how this is going to play out. I'm not into conspiracy theories. People bring up that all the time. This doesn't help either side. People say that the Texans are throwing this information out against Deshaun. It doesn't help the Texans that Deshaun's name and reputation is being dragged through the mud right now. 
it's it doesn't help them. His trade value goes down. You don't know if there are suspensions that are coming down from the NFL for their personal conduct policy. You have no idea what's going to happen on that end. So you're not going to have teams that are going to be trading for Deshaun Watson given that information that is still yet to be determined. There are no conspiracy theories here. It's just the timing of the situation. I don't really buy into that. There are people that think so many wild things, especially on social media. I'm not one of those guys, especially in this situation. Okay, U of H, the Cougars, man, they are going to the Final Four. Oh, God. It's such a great run, such a fun team. I really enjoy this group. Uh, the folks at University of Houston in that program have been so tremendous. Just speaking from a personal sp- standpoint, every time I need something, every time I want to talk to somebody, They've they've just been so gracious. You can go back to listen to our interview with Kelvin Sampson. It was last year. Uh, It was just awesome. I mean, Kelvin was fantastic. He told his story about how he started in college basketball. And what he's done at the University of Houston has just been remarkable. They play such great basketball. They're able to win no matter how they play because they play great defense and they rebound the basketball. And that's why they're so successful. We've seen the offense sputter during this tournament. It hasn't been pretty at times. That Rutgers game, for one, not pretty. This last game, they looked good, but then they fell apart in the second half. But their defense and their mentality and the culture, the culture is what drives this team so much. And that's what I wanted to talk about with a former U of H player. I, I caught up with Reed Geddes. He was on that by slam jamma team that went to the uh, Final Four, the famous team from U of H. He played alongside Akeem and Clyde and that whole group, Michael Young. They were so fun to watch back then, too. But it's a totally different style of basketball. One of the things that I love that Kelvin Sampson said earlier uh, this month was that this is its own group. Like, these guys are not five slam jamma. They honor the history of the program. And even Kelvin said today at their practice, I mean, they, they rebuilt it. But the foundation, everything was there. Guy V. Lewis and the and Houston basketball, that's a name that everybody recognizes and has recognized for a long time. It kind of, you know, fell by the wayside there a little bit. But U of H is always a basketball school. I get they've had some success in football every now and then, but that's a basketball school through and through. So it's so great to see the Cougars back on that national stage. And Reed was gracious enough to talk to me about this uh, earlier in the week. We talked about this run and what it means to him as an alum. So this is Reed Geddes, former University of Houston basketball player, Five Slamma Jamma member, talking about this edition of the Houston Cougars. All right. Uh, so I guess initial reactions, man. Just how, how much fun are you having watching this iteration of uh, Cougar basketball? Yeah, I'm having a blast. Uh, the, you know, the other night uh, in the game against Syracuse, I kept telling my wife, look, I, I need a 10 or 15 point lead the whole game so that I'm not pacing around the room. And sure enough, you know, we're up 10 or 12 and I'm pacing around the room and I'm yelling at the TV and I'm pointing things. And she's like, yeah, I, I thought you weren't going to do this. I thought you were just going to sit and relax. It's been a blast. I, I, I can't, can't remember the last time I had so much fun watching basketball. I guess I wanted to talk to you about getting your perspective as somebody who went through the program. And this, I guess, kind of goes for any athlete, whether the success that they have in the program is great or not. But just your feelings as the program has been rebuilt under Kelvin Sampson because of the job that he's done there has just been tremendous. I, I love what he said. Uh, you know, I've heard him repeatedly tell people it's important to honor the past and live in the present. And he has done a tremendous job of honoring the past. I mean, he has fallen all over himself, has gone out of his way. But at the end of the day, 
these kids don't care what happened 37 years ago. I mean, they've got their own identity and I, I love the for the city. And I was telling someone the other day, Dejan Giroux after the game, you know, he, he just kept saying for the city, for the city. And I was like, that's a New Orleans kid. You know, that, that's somebody who has bought in. And, and I am so proud of that program and what Kelvin has done. And he has built really from scratch. I mean, not, not rock bottom, but, but he has built an elite level program. Uh, he has built a top 10 program and he's sustaining it. It's not just one team. It's year after year. This is the third year in a row that we've competed at this level. And that is remarkable. And look, th I don't want the old timers mad at me as this being, you know, heresy, but, but coach Lewis didn't do that. I mean, he, we, we didn't, we didn't have this. We, we had a team that was really, really good. Um, and we were good for three years but it wasn't sustained with different kids. Um, and so I, I just, man, we, we are in rarefied air right now. And, and the fact that Kelvin Sampson has come in and done this with our program is nothing short of remarkable. I think I, I, I want to get your opinion too. I, one of the things that Giroux was saying over and over again the other day too was the culture, right? Yeah. Culture, culture, culture. I mean, obviously as an alum, you want to see the school succeed, you want to see them win, but to do it in a way that not only reflects um, who they are, but the city, the hard work, like that's got to make you feel pretty good too as an alum that they're, they've got this whole program just kind of built from, from the core, right? From the core out and they're winning. Not, not just what they've done, but how they've done it. And you're exactly right. This is, this is a, an extremely talented team and they're deep. Um, and he's gone with about an eight-man rotation, but he's got 11 kids that can play. So they're talented, they're deep, they're unselfish. They, they've bought into the fact that, the, that they're, they're setting aside the individual for the group. Um, they've realized that, that you achieve great things. And I, don't care, I don't care where you are in life, but you achieve great things when you don't care who gets the credit. And they've bought into that and they have leadership and the way they're playing um, you know, I've been, my phone was been blown up all weekend and I, I just keep, I, I went back and look at my text messages and I just keep saying the same thing. This is a group of high character kids that are fun to pull for. This isn't just, you, you know, he hadn't pulled together a team that you kind of wince and you kind of pinch your nose and you cheer for them. These, these are high character kids that have bought in and what, you know, as an alum, what more can you ask for, for your program than they represent you know, you and your school and your team and the city and man, that that's, I, I hope the city, I hope this just generates a love affair with, with these kids because they deserve it. Is it kind of cool to you, to, for you to see a, a U of H team play the way they play defense, just hard nosed basketball. I know you guys kind of flying up and down the court. It was a little different what you guys did, but this is like, this is old school stuff that they're doing. <laughs> and well, they're, they're yeah. It's really great. Yeah, they're, they're built to win when they don't play their best. And that that's the formula for success um, in the NCAA tournament. Because you're not, everyone's like, oh, you got to get hot. I don't care how hot you get. You're not going to play your best game for six games, three weekends in a row. Every time you walk on the floor, you're not going to play your best. So you got to be built to win in spite of that. And defensively on the perimeter, they, they might be as good defensively as I've ever seen in, in 37 years of, of playing and covering you know, college basketball, and especially without a seven foot rim protector on the back end. You know, they're doing it with a bunch of six, seven, six, eight guys that just rotate and buy in, 
schematically, they are incredibly disciplined. And then they are so physically tough that th this team is as good. What they did to Syracuse the other night, everyone kept talking about, oh, Syracuse zone and Syracuse is so, Syracuse is so hard. Golly, they held them to 28% from the floor, 22% from behind the three-point line. And I kept hearing all this, oh, Buddy Buckets and Buddy Bayheim. <laughs> I, I looked at somebody, I said, Dejon Giroux is going to eat him alive. Um, Buddy, Buddy Buckets went home with, with Giroux nightmares. Um, they, they are really, they're really good and they can make a run at this thing. What, um, as an alum, like if at, for my school, I, I, every time I see them on TV, I see the, like the logos and all that stuff. What's the feeling for you when you, when you see that? I know you've been in TV too, so it's, it's a little different. You've kind of been around it, but when, when your school is put on such a, a high pedestal, in such a high stage and you were a part of it too in the basketball arena what is what is that feeling like kind of deep down inside for you yeah i'm not i'm not used to it and i'm not insensitive to it and in fact 30 seconds before i picked up you know we started the zoom call i looked at a logo the ncaa sent out and it said the elite eight are set you know and there's a picture of quentin and i looked over at the logos and i thought okay that's cool <laughs> that's really cool I'm ecstatic. I just, I could not be more proud of these kids um, and what they're doing and the way they're carrying themselves and conducting themselves. Um, man, I, I, they, they, I can't think of a better scenario to be proud of a group of kids than this group. Awesome. Reed, thank you so much. That was great. Appreciate it. I hope they get it done tonight, man. I'm not, it's going to be, I, I, I think I said the first one to 50 wins. I feel like that's how Oregon State plays too. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I just I don't you know who knows, but but anything can happen. I just don't think a team is going to beat us uh, from the perimeter. And so yeah. you know, if we have to play a team like Gonzaga that's got a seven footer pass into a six nine guy, um, that that that's a different story. But but if you think you're going to come in and beat us with guard play, uh, I, I don't I don't I don't see it. They're just so good, just uh, along the perimeter. Just like you know, they sign the baseline. They just get after it. I mean, I like what you said, like with Jarrell. I mean, he was tremendous the other night. Well, Gosh, and all he's of such them. a fun yeah. player. Yeah, all of them, and the way they rotate on the weak side. And, and Kelvin brought kind of an NBA rotation scheme. The way they double down, and then they they don't recover the way you normally expect. And so they double, and then their ability to rotate and recover without leaving any gaps is I'm, I've been watching them all year long. And it's, you know, for someone who loves X's and O's, it, it is it is really cool to watch them operate. Another fun interview I did this week related to this has to do with uh, assistant coach Alvin Brooks and his son, Alvin Brooks III, who coaches at Baylor. They're going up against each other. So I come to find out that these two um, are related to Ronnie Courtney's wife. Now, Ronnie Courtney, I've done interviews with him before. He's the longtime high school basketball coach in the area. He's won multiple state championships. Well, his wife, Michelle, is Alvin Brooks's niece. So she's made up these shirts to commemorate the moment. And I caught up with them about how cool this whole thing is for them, too. So when the bracket came out, I'm sure you guys were uh, hoping for this exact moment, right? I mean, you saw Baylor and U of H on the same side, like, ooh, this could happen. <laughs> yes, I did, because Alvin kind of caught it to my attention. Uh, he said, you know, if we both win in our, in our reach, we're going to meet in the, uh, in the Final Four. I said, are you serious? And then when I looked at the bracket, I said, wow, this would be interesting. So, uh, Michelle, I got to ask you, what, what is this like for you? Exciting. Um, 
really unbelievable, but it's a great feeling to see two of your family members get to this level. So it's, it's, it's been very exciting. Yeah, uh, Michelle was telling me that you you've had conversations with uh, with both coach. What what is what is this like for you? Knowing these guys and kind of seeing you know, especially Alvin the Third through his career and getting to this point, um, it's got to be pretty neat for you to see this moment. It is because when you're in the coaching fraternity, whether it's high school, college, professor, whatever the fraternity fraternity of the sports coaches are concerned, you always want to see others do well. And in this instance, this is family members, so. You definitely want to see them do well, but the sad part about it is somebody has to lose and somebody's going to win. So that's the hard part about it. Uh, but at the end of the day, like I told Alvin this morning, we can guarantee there's going to be a books in the final game on Monday night. <laughs> that's right. No, that's right. And no, I, I thought it was funny the other day when uh, Alvin the third he said uh, he said Dad didn't want me to coach. Do you <laughs> do you remember those both of you? Do you guys remember that moment when he wanted to be a coach and what was, what was that like? I did. When, it, when, when Alvin told him not to coach, I kind of figured it was like maybe the third is thinking that this is a glorious, spectacular thing to do, and it was all fun and no work and just, you know, just playing around with games and going to games and, and watching guys play. I didn't know if he really understood the dynamics of what coaching was all about because he had never expressed being a coach until he hung around with Sean Lewis for a little bit. But at the end of the day, once he got into it, I know I've been knowing the Al for, I call him the Al. I've been knowing the Al for a long time since he's been born. So when he got into it, I knew that he was going to make the best of it. And he goes and win two national championships right off the bat in junior college. I said, well, he, knew what, he knows what he wants to do and he'll excel at, it, at, the, at the utmost. What about you, Michelle? What do you, what were you, do you remember those moments and uh, when he became a coach and what's it been like for you to see him get to this point with, uh, with Baylor? Um, yeah, I knew um, because as my uncle stated in quite a few of his interviews, um, his mother, which is my grandmother, said that little Alvin was going to be a coach one day. And we never thought that he actually was going to be be a coach, but it was like she said, Alvin's going to be a coach. And so uh, when he started out, um, when he was in Midland, I believe he was no, no, yeah. No, he yeah. started out at Fort Smith. Okay, Fort Smith. He would always call Coach Courtney, and I would always talk to him. And then when he won a national uh, championship, I was like, I was doing some great things. And so then um, he went on to Midland and won again. And then he started traveling. He went to Bradley. And when he was in Sam Houston, uh, I would go down and see some of the games because they played against each other when he was at Sam Houston. Um, I have that family photo. So yeah, it's it's been amazing to see little Alvin because I remember when he was born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I bet. And coach, when uh, I know I, I, Alvin just got the job in Lamar, you got to be pretty, pretty proud of him for, for doing that. But, you know, for to see to see that family do what they've done, especially in this game that you love so much, what what, what is what is that like for you? And all the conversations that you've had over the years with them, family experiences too. Those two guys. When we were having family functions, somehow or another, Alvin and I would sneak up and talk basketball, and uh, you know we sit down and talk about things that he 
has envisioned and some of the things that I have done. And we kind of put those thoughts together and find out, you know, how can we help each other? And, and we've helped each other tremendously through the process of being coaches for as long as we have been coaches. And for him to get the job at Lamar, which is where he had all his glory days in college, I thought was phenomenal uh, for him to be able to go back there and as a, as a Hall of Famer there, just being inducted to the Hall of Fame and come back and coach there some 30, 30 plus years later. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, he made a match, mentioned that yesterday was like 35 years from today, yesterday that he was uh, leaving Lamar to go into with Coach Foster. So for it to be that kind of a turnaround for him to get an opportunity to get back to be a head coach at his alma mater, I think it, it's, it's wonderful. All right, Michelle, so how's this going to be tomorrow? Like, what, you're wearing a U of H cap now. I, I, I don't know what you're going to be wearing tomorrow. How, how's this going to work? What are you going to be feeling? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Well, I would not have on a U of H cap tomorrow. <laughs> I'm actually going for Baylor. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And why going, is that? Um, I'm going for Baylor because um, I'm going to say it uh, publicly. Al has always been my baby. <laughs> Coach Courtney, I always say he's not a baby. I say, but he'll always be my baby. So... Uh, <laughs> So I'm going for Baylor because of the album. Oh, you're not gonna let uh, Big Al see. You're not gonna let Al Junior uh, see this, are you, Daniel? Because <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm gonna put it on TV. I don't know who's gonna see it. So somebody's gonna see it, and this is gonna get back to to, to you guys. But let me see the shirts. I gotta see the shirt, right? I, mean, I put them the other day. So let's stand up real quick. Let's see if you can see it. There you go. So have you taken a poll? Of the family, like who's going to cheer for U of H and who's going to cheer for Baylor? Who, which one? Uh... Well, actually, um, family so far because I have to go and deliver everyone their shirts today. Um, everybody really don't have a a, um, a pick. They're saying that made the best team win because it's hard to choose between the two. Is that the politically correct answer? I feel like that that's the politically correct. Deep down inside, everybody wants somebody to win, right? And I've been asked that question so many times, and I've always told people, you know, in a situation like this, it's hard to pull against either one of them because of the father-son and the relationship that I've had with them for so long. I keep telling people, may the best team win, and it could be with the best team may not win that day. So you can't say that Baylor's the best team, but they may not win. You can't yeah, say U of H is the best point. day. They may not win. So at the end of the day, um, I will be satisfied with the outcome because, like I said earlier, I know for a fact that there's going to be a Brooks in the championship game on Monday night. All right, Coach, put your uh, take the coach hat off, put the analyst hat on. I'm going to ask you to be the analyst now. So when you see both of these teams, it's kind of strength on strength, right? Uh, what they each like to do, defense. Baylor likes to run up and down, but they're long on the perimeter. So what, what do you think? Like, well, how do how do these teams match up? Well, I've, I just told one of my coaches yesterday that if Baylor cannot stand the physicality of University, University of Houston rebounding greatness, then they're going to have a problem because U of H is relentless on the boards, relentless as far as rebounding on that offensive glass. And if they can't match that physicality, then they're going to have a problem because U of H has three guards as well. I'm not, I don't know if they shoot as well as Baylor, but they have a tendency to make shots uh, when they need shots. And both of them benches are deep. Uh, so it's just going to be a matter of which set of guys, young men or men, will will their way to win. Because the 
the talent is there, the desire to get to the next level, get to Monday night is there. So it's just going to be a matter of who can handle the pressure and perform in the time when the pressure hits you the most. And that's going to be the team that's going to win. All right. How many shirts did you make? Mm. <laughs> you got boxes now. A bunch. All right. That's going to do it for this podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. We will be back with more, including a uh, recap or a look back at the Battle of the Sexes match at the Astrodome. I did an interview with Dale Robertson and several ball girls from that match. I'm going to post that this weekend. We're also going to have a reaction to the Houston Cougars Final Four game. I'm going to be with Jason Bristol. We're going to talk about that. We're going to have so much stuff. The podcast is back up and running. My life is not going crazy anymore. It's nice to be talking to you fine folks again. Until next time, see you later.